The Old Testament lesson for the 15th Sunday after Trinity is from 1 Kings chapter 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the sixth chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are a couple of miracles in that Old Testament lesson, that story of the widow and Elijah. There was a famine in the land on account of a drought that Elijah had predicted. An evil king had come into the throne, and Elijah said, There will not be rain from heaven nor dew on the earth until my word. And so everybody suffered. 
Everybody suffered from this famine. They were hard-pressed, including this widow of Zarephath, a character who appears here and is a moment later, a chapter later, gone from the story. But we hear about her again in the Gospels. Jesus uses her as an example to show us God's mercy. God sent his prophet Elijah to this poor widow to bring his grace to her. Day after day of rain meant for that widow that her jar of flour and her jug of oil were steadily disappearing until there was, as of our reading this morning, just one meal left. I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. But Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake and bring it to me and afterward... Afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. There are two miracles in this story. The second miracle is this, that her food did not run out, just as Elijah said. Her flour was not spent, and her oil jar did not run dry. For every bit that she took out, there was more yet again the next day. That was the second miracle in the story. The first miracle is this, that the widow of Zarephath heard Elijah's words, believed God, and did not worry. She did not let the thoughts about the realities in front of her, her dwindling jar of flour and her jug of oil, she did not let those thoughts distract her from acting according to God's word. Think about how you would have paused, how you would have hesitated when Elijah said to you, give me something to eat first, and then feed yourself and your son. She let none of the realities in front of her distract her from doing what God said. She could look into her jar and see the bottom, and yet she did not let thoughts about what she could see contradict what she had heard from God, what she knew about him that he was gracious and merciful, and that he keeps his word. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice never to worry? You can find lots and lots of books on all of the self-help shelves in bookstores, and you can find, in fact, an entire mental health industry aimed at helping people not to worry, to be less anxious. But really... What we're most often after when we wish that we would not worry, that we worried less, what we're most often after is simply that the circumstances would change so that there would be nothing to worry about at all. We don't wish that we wouldn't worry, we wish that we would have nothing to worry about. The patient who is worried about a test result to determine whether or not he has cancer does not wish for less worry. He wishes that there was nothing to worry about. He doesn't wish that his mind wouldn't be preoccupied. He wishes that there was nothing for it to be preoccupied with. He desperately wants the test result to be negative, and that's why it's all he can think about. But look at the widow in our Old Testament lesson. There was still plenty of reason for her to worry. There was plenty for her to worry about. She had God's word and promises, yes, but she also had a flour jar that was one scoop away from being empty and an oil jug that was down to its last drops. Would God keep his word? Would this be the last meal she prepared? Would she be made a fool for believing the words from some prophet? 
She could have worried about all of those things, and none of those things changed with Elijah's words. And that worry could have kept her from acting. This is one of the ways that worry plays out in our lives. It divides your mind. In fact, that's kind of what the Greek word for worry means. It's a mind being fractured, split into pieces, driven all over the place. Worry preoccupies you. It distracts you so that you cannot pay attention to what you should. Those who worry about what they will eat and what they will drink and what they will wear, they do not share with those who are in need because they're worried about themselves. Those who worry about their jobs and success often neglect their families and their children. Those who worry what others think about them do not speak the truth to those in error. Those who worry about health will move heaven and earth to see the doctor, but often leave themselves with no time for the worship of God, the great physician. Those who worry about comfort and happiness are willing to lie, cheat, and steal in order to satisfy themselves, in order to assuage their worry. The widow could have worried about having enough, but had she worried, she would never have given any to Elijah. She would never have helped him. She would never have heeded the word of God. She couldn't have. Her preoccupation would have prevented her. She would have been incapacitated by her anxiety. Worry keeps us from doing what we ought to do. But there is another deeper problem with worry, and it's this. We kind of enjoy it. Kind of enjoy worrying. Now, I'm sure that nobody would say that they enjoy the experience of anxiety. Nobody would say that they want to worry. The distraction of worry is a terrible thing. It's distinctly unpleasant. It's exhausting always to be pulled away from what's in front of you to whatever is bugging your mind. But there is a way in which we are glad to worry. We're glad to worry because it takes some problem that we can't do anything about and it makes us feel like we are actually doing something. In our worry, we feel busy. It's like somebody stuck in the mud who can't help but keep spinning his wheels. You're not going anywhere, but it feels like you're doing something to have your foot on that gas pedal to keep that mud flying. But of course, it's just an illusion. Thinking about the test results will not change them one way or the other. Thinking about whether or not your child is safe will not make him safe. Thinking about what's coming in the mail, the bills that are coming in the mail, will not change when they arrive, nor the amounts that are on them. Thinking does not change anything. And this uncovers the problem with worry. It's the illusion of control. When we indulge worry, we let ourselves think that our lives are in our own hands. Jesus gets right to the point when he says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. One of the most useless things you can do is to worry. If it is so useless, and we all know that it is, why do we do it? It's a problem of our hearts. Our hearts want to be in control, to be in charge, to be like God, just as Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. And when push comes to shove and we encounter some immovable obstacle in our lives, our last recourse is to worry. It's the last thing that lets us think that we have some thread of control over our lives, that our lives are in our hands and not God's, that we are masters of our own fate. It's a problem of our hearts, and it reveals, worry reveals 
our idols. Our sinful hearts take the good things that God gives us and forget that God is the one who has given them to us. We take the good things that God has given us and turn them into idols, and so we hold on to them desperately. We cling to them for dear life as though we were the ones who created them. We are the ones who sustain them, and we are the ones who cannot live without them. And in turning the gifts that God has given us into idols, our minds are taken off of heavenly things, and they are stuck here, trapped here, in earthly things. Instead of considering how God would have us live, we are stuck, fretting, about the trappings of our lives, what we will eat and what we will drink and what we will wear, our jobs, our homes, our comfort, our happiness. Instead of rejoicing in the grace and mercy of God, we act as though he doesn't care, as though he doesn't care about us one bit, which is why we have to be so busy worrying about things. Now, Jesus' answer to this idolatry, to this problem of our hearts, his answer is not simply to say, cut it out. He does say that. He does say, cut it out. He leads with this. Do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious. Now, a few weeks ago, I talked about things that are useless, like speaking to a deaf man. And here's another one, saying, do not worry to someone who is worried. That's a useless thing. It's like saying, don't be so sad to someone who is depressed. It's useless to say, don't worry, unless, unless you have a reason for that anxious person not to worry. If I met you in the hospital while you were waiting for your test results and I said to you, don't worry, it'll all be okay, that's not going to help you one bit because, of course, I don't know whether or not it's going to be okay. I don't know how the test will turn out, much less can I influence the result. It's useless to say, don't worry, if you don't have some good news that is certain and sure, which is why, of course, when the doctor who's coming with the test results comes into the room and says, don't worry, it's a completely different story. Then you are relieved. It's not simply because he said, don't worry, but it's because you know that he has a reason for you to stop worrying. Jesus says, do not be anxious about your lives, and the reason is bound up in who he is. It's like when he says, do not fear. The reason not to fear is bound up in who he is, who it is that is speaking to you. It is the very Son of God, sent from the Father, specifically so that he could lead you by his sacrifice on the cross, to life, so that he could give you, by his blood, peace, so that you can, in confidence, cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. To prove his point, Jesus directs your attention to the birds and the lilies of the field. They live their lives completely free from anxiety, fed and clothed by God. They have all that they need to live the lives that God has given to them, not fretting about health or retirement or what anyone thinks of them. They live the lives that God has given them in simple obedience to God's design, and he takes care of them. Are you not of more value than they? Think about what that means. On the one hand, it means that when we are beset by worry, beset by anxiety, we are imagining that we are worth less, that we are worth less than the birds and the lilies. We are imagining that we are the kinds of creatures that God would never care about, that he doesn't mean to provide for us or keep his word to us. It's a devilish lie. It's the kind of lie that Adam and Eve believed in the garden where the serpent said to them, God is withholding something good from you. He does not truly care about you. He cares about you less than he cares about the sparrows 
and the lilies. How much does God care about you? He sent his only son to die for you, to make you holy, so that you would not fade and wither like the grass of the field, but that you would live forever in his presence. He washed you clean from all your sins by the blood of his son so that you could dwell in his courts forever. He gave you faith to trust his promises so that you could receive from him all that you need for life and for salvation. Are you not of more value than they? Of course you are. Immeasurably more. The psalmist marvels at how much God cares for us. He says, what is man? What is man that you are mindful of? He looks at the stars of the heavens, looks at the scope of the universe, and says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? In fact, God's graciousness towards us is so extravagant as to seem senseless. It looks foolish. It is the lavish mercy of that father who welcomed back his prodigal son even after he had spent, wasted, half of his property. It's the wasteful charity of that Samaritan we heard about a few weeks ago who helps even his enemy at great cost to himself. It's the incomprehensible love of Jesus who died even for those who were nailing him to the cross. Are you not of more value than those birds and those flowers? Never has there been a more obvious question. When we worry, it is as though we think that we are less than the children of God. And we think that life is no more than what we will eat or drink or put on our bodies. It's a bit like this. Imagine that you gave a gift to somebody, a really nice gift, and you wrapped it in a, you put it in a box and you wrapped it in wrapping paper. Occasionally this happens if you have children in your house around Christmas time. You put things in a box and they open the present and what are they more interested in? The box and the wrapping paper. That's what it's like when we worry about what we will eat and what we will drink and what we will wear. When we worry about those things, what we will have in our homes, our job, our families, our health, our happiness, and our comfort and ease, when we are worried about those things, it's like being obsessed about the box and the wrapping paper so that we never get around to using the gift or enjoying it. What is the gift? It's this life. All of those other things, the things that we need for this life, are gifts as well, but in the same way that the wrapping paper and the box are gifts. They're instrumental. They're there simply to support the true gift, what's inside the box. On its own, a box and wrapping paper are nothing. It's what's inside that's valuable. Food and drink and clothing and the trappings of this life are gifts as well, but they're nothing. They're nothing without the life that they're meant to support. Is not life more than food, Jesus asks, and the body more than clothing? Yes, it is. But how? What is the more? Jesus shows us with his life. The more is love. It is sacrifice and service of your neighbor. It is righteousness and holiness and the goodness of God's kingdom. This is the gift which we are to use and enjoy, but which we cannot when we are beset with worry and anxiety. Worry is a fracturing of your mind and your heart so that you cannot attend to the things that you should. It is a distraction and a preoccupation with things that do not matter for their own sake so that we miss what does matter, glorifying God and loving our neighbors. Now, if you feel like to this point I haven't done much to help you with your anxiety, I haven't told you what to do with your anxiety, don't worry, here's the, here's the cure. The problem with worry is a problem with our hearts. And so the cure must deal with our hearts. And this is good news for you. 
Because Christians, Christians know what to do with problems in their hearts. In fact, there is only one remedy. Repentance and faith. Paying attention to your worry is helpful. It's helpful as a diagnostic, just like examining yourself according to the Ten Commandments is helpful because your worry reveals your idols. It uncovers them so you can see them. When we discover that we fear, love, and trust something other than God, we repent. When we discover that we are distracted from doing what is good and right and holy because we are worried about what we will eat or what we will drink or what we will wear, we repent. When you recognize your worry, do not indulge it, but turn away from it and towards God in prayer. Use your worry as an occasion to pray. Listen to God's promises and blessings. Consider the birds of the heavens and the lilies of the field. Search the scriptures and see. See if you can find a limit to God's love for you. You won't find it. Instead, you'll discover the unimaginable mercy of God towards you in Christ Jesus And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, who drives out anxiety and fear, who enables you to will and to do what is pleasing to God and not to worry. This repentance and faith, this turning away from sin, this turning away from idolatry, is the daily exercise of baptism. It's what every Christian does day to day, drowning the old man so that a new man can arise and live before God. Watch for your worries. Pay attention. And then put them to death. Receive God's forgiveness for your idolatry and trust. Trust in his mercy. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. According to the riches of God's glory, may he grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, in your hearts and your minds, so that they are not fractured by worry. So that Christ may dwell in you through faith, Christ who is one in his goodness, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, with your brothers and sisters here, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work that is within us, By the Holy Spirit, to him be glory now and forever. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds. Amen.